Good evening, it is 5 p.m. and you're tuned in to Kingston Currents here on CFRC 11.9 FM. I'm CFRC's broadcast journalist Christina Laurie here to keep you up to date on all things Limestone local news. Kingston and the Island's MPP Ted Chu officially launched his campaign to become the next leader of the Ontario Liberal Party last week. Chu, who also represented Kingston as a member of Parliament from 2011 to 2015, was joined by hundreds of supporters at Portsmouth Olympic Harbour for the announcement last weekend. Chu told the crowd that he will give the Liberal Party a fresh start to earn back the trust of Ontario voters. This episode of Kingston Currents will be featuring my conversation with MPP Chu discussing his campaign launch, key issues he looks to confront in Ontario, and more about his platform. Without further delay, here's what MPP Shu had to say. Starting off light, you just had your campaign launch event last weekend. Yes. I want to ask how that was and how the response has been so far. Uh, it was good. We had about 250 people there awesome. and uh, we had a good time. We put out some, uh, we took a video of this speech, which outlines how I'm approaching this uh, leadership race and what I'm proposing to do and what I'm offering. And the response is good. We've got some earned media and uh, the uh, a lot of people are jumping in now to help out and mm-hmm. donate and volunteer. So it's uh, the campaign is, is getting off the ground. Um, of course, you've accumulated lots of experience representing Kingston for so long. And you've also been traveling across Ontario, talking to folks, yes. gathering what those issues and concerns are, getting a broader view. But why is this your year for leadership? Well, I'm offering a couple of things. One is connecting with voters. I've had success in Kingston winning elections uh, when the Liberal Party was doing very badly. Uh, In 2011, I ran federally, and the Federal Liberal Party had its worst ever election showing. Uh, Many, many candidates uh, got defeated, but I managed to increase the Liberal vote here in Kingston and the islands. And then last year, in 2022, when the Provincial Liberal Party was doing very badly for the second election in a row, I managed to flip the seat from NDP to Liberal, so I got more Liberal votes here. Um, So I've been able to do that because I've been able to connect with a lot of different voters, and the sort of trust that builds up once you get that connection. And I've been able to do that and win elections even though the Liberal Party's doing badly. And I think I can do that across the province. So I'm offering an authentic connection to voters, which has been tested in tough elections. That's what I'm offering <laughs> to the Ontario Liberal Party for leadership. The second thing concerns my vision for the province, and I think that Doug Ford's Ontario is not competitive on the world stage. And why is it not competitive? Because because workers, they have trouble finding an affordable place to live anywhere near where they work. Some people can't afford anything. We are uh, struggling with Uh, For example, schools are still disrupted, there's classrooms are disrupted, there's more violence and disrespect towards teachers. A lot of it is just, it's a symptom of the isolation of the pandemic that hasn't, that's still around. It was started a little bit before the pandemic. We have a mental health and addictions uh, crisis. The city of Kingston declared a mental health and addictions crisis. Uh, We have a crisis in our healthcare system with not enough primary care, like 25,000 people roughly in Kingston don't have access to a family doctor, and that affects access to the whole healthcare system. We have uh, staff shortages in hospitals still. It's not going to go away quickly. Um, The economy still has problems, so there's certain skilled labor shortages that we have that are affecting lots of things, everything from hospitals to ferries to uh, construction of homes. And then over everything, we have climate change and we have debt that the younger generation is inheriting, government debt. And we have all of these things that are 
not just making life difficult, but it means that our economy is not competitive. We, we're not marshalling all the resources that we could to, to deal with the problems that we have. And so what I would like to see is an Ontario that, that's competitive, caring, and fair. So it has a competitive economy where workers have access to the best schooling, the best training, the best tools and technology. In, in, in Canada, we have fallen behind over the last 20 years or so on business expenditure, on research and development. It means we do things like assemble things in Canada or dig things out of the ground. And we don't do enough of the research and development to build the expensive things that cost a lot for people to buy, but they want to buy them because they're valuable. Mm -hmm. uh, so we need, and that affects the tools and technology that Canadian workers have. It makes them less productive. We also need access to good organization. So that's whether on a social level or a, a business level. Financing for, for private enterprise, uh, especially startups, early stage companies, as companies that want to expand. We don't do that well in Canada. And access to markets. So it's really important for, for com our companies to uh, be able to access markets around the world. So what I mean by Ontario having a, a competitive uh, uh, economy, it's, it's all of those things. And having a strong economy will support uh, a, a society that's caring and fair because it'll provide the, the resources to be able to, you know, if you want to have people caring for other people, then you have to make sure that food and housing and all the education, all of these things are done, are provided in a very productive way so that you free up human resources to care for others and to make sure that our society is a fair one. Uh, so those are the two basic things. Authentic connection to voters and a vision for Ontario that's about a, caring, a competitive, caring and fair Ontario. Absolutely, and in the context of all those complex overlapping issues you look to tackle, as well as coming out of the pandemic, like you said, fresh start is sort of your tagline for your campaign. I was yes. wondering if you could get into what that means to you and mm -hmm. for your platform. The Ontario Liberal Party has lost badly in two successive elections, so I think that it needs to change how it does things. And when, I mean, other people have asked about this and they talk about, they want the party to move to the right or towards the center or to the left, or they want to reorganize part the party to, um, to beat Doug Ford. <laughs> and and I, I look at it a little bit differently. I ask myself the question, who is the Ontario Liberal Party not serving? Who is, has the Ontario Liberal Party lost touch with? And I mean, one, I think, very clearly identifiable group is, is rural, small town, northern Ontario that the Ontario Liberal Party has lost touch with. But it's also suburbs and it's certain issues. And, and one thing that was brought to my attention was, you know, a lot of people, for example, in the suburbs of the GTA are worried about automobile theft, which has gone up a lot. And so you can ask the question, well, what is the Liberal Party doing about that? What have we, what have we said? And, and I think the answer is we, we haven't been focused on things like that. Everyday things that bug people, that contribute to the cost of living, and other things that contribute to the lack of affordable housing, uh, the delays in healthcare, lack of access to healthcare. So I think we need to focus on those everyday things that bug average people most of the time. 
and we have to make sure that we're connecting with voters uh, everywhere. And for the past eight months, you've been doing just that. You've been traveling around. You've been scoping out what issues and concerns the average everyday people have. This is quite broad, but uh, what are some of the biggest challenges you perceive for residents of Ontario in the next few years? And if elected, what solutions would uh-huh. you propose? So cost of living is the big one that affects mm-hmm. people. And, and that's, but it's big and it's affected by many, many things. It's just related to something I already mentioned, the mm-hmm. automobile thefts, that results in a higher cost of insurance. Um, but it's also, uh, what is the cost of groceries? What's the cost of, cost of fresh, fresh produce? And, and we might want to do things like preserve our farmland. So the current government is in its relying on urban sprawl and using uh, green spaces to build housing, which I think is a bad choice. We should be doing things to protect uh, farmland. Um, and in the long run, that's going to make food prices more stable. Mm-hmm. and lower. Uh, in fact, so just recently, you know, the, uh, a number of agricultural groups have forced the Ford government to backtrack on its plan to build, to allow farms to sever off lots to build uh, housing. Uh, but generally speaking, the Ford government, for example, when it's taking land out of the green belt to build housing, it's, it's building, it's taking away farmland and other wetlands that have environmental, to provide environmental services. Uh, to build housing, and that's that's the wrong strategy. So I would, I would change that. I would move towards more urban density, building the right size, so it's maybe uh, slightly uh, more apartments, slightly taller buildings, closer to transit, and smaller units are less expensive. And if it's close to transit, there's some people won't need to have a car. That makes life less expensive for them, but it also makes the housing less expensive if you need less parking spaces. Uh, on healthcare, I think there's a, a number of things that, that should be done. Uh, I think that there are some, for, for elder care, for example, we should be emphasizing home and community-based care and not building more and more institutions. And we should be finding ways to encourage uh, senior citizens to socialize and keep physically active. And there's, uh, there's a program called the OASIS program, which uh, helps with that. but. There are also ideas about how to how to do elder care in a way that keeps people happier and keeps people out of this institutionalized long-term care for a bit longer, which saves money. We also want to change how primary care is delivered and how, for example, family doctors practice to put them in teams so that they're not managing a whole business uh, and have help with paperwork so that uh, more, peop- more doctors will choose family medicine. So one of our problems is not necessarily the number of physicians, but that many of them are, there's two, there's two disciplines in particular that are not being chosen. And one is family medicine, the other one is psychiatry, and I mean, we're short of both. So I think there are some reforms there, trying to set up uh, primary care so that everybody gets covered geographic, what they call geographic health homes. That's another, that's another idea. Uh, moving away from housing and healthcare, I think for mental health and addictions, there are, that's a big problem for almost every city. Uh, so there needs to be more supportive housing, uh, better ways of making sure that people need treatment, get treatment. Housing is really important for that. Uh, but we might also look at, well, what happens when people are in provincial detention centers? Are they waiting too long to get treatment or get on some kind of program? Um, 
other other gaps in the system. But the most important thing is supportive housing. And we, right now, when we don't even have enough affordable housing, it's, it's very, it's, there are very few places that we actually have to have to create supports uh, because we don't have the housing in the first place. In, uh, in the field of climate change, uh, the province's energy grid and energy supply is really important. So one thing we should be doing is, for example, if everybody went out and bought an electric vehicle and plugged it in, uh, most streets couldn't handle it. So there's a local electricity grid that needs to be uh, upgraded. We should be reinvesting in renewable energy, which, which the current government cut uh, when it took power. Now it's realizing that it's not going to have enough electricity, so it's procuring more uh, renewable sources. But it's also relying a lot on uh, procuring natural gas, a lot of new natural gas burning plants, which is burning fossil fuels, which is burning more fossil fuels, which is going backwards on climate change. So I think really we should be investing a lot more in uh, renewable energy, so, so that's solar, wind, uh, geothermal, bio energy, and investing in energy storage, which helps uh, with uh, intermittent sources of energy like the sun and the wind. So we need to invest in storage, and we need to invest more in conservation. Conservation programs were also cut by the current government when they took power. So that's the low-hanging fruit. Um, and, but going forward, there's going to have to be, uh, I mean, we can't get rid of the natural gas plants overnight. They're probably going to have to be kept around for a long time to ensure the reliability of the system. But we should try very hard not to have uh, burning natural gas as a baseload source of power. It's just not good for climate change. Um, so that's, those are some of the things that need to be done on the energy and climate change front. Absolutely, and I, we'll be circling back to a few of those other issues that I mentioned earlier, but before that, you mentioned how the Liberal Party has lost their close connection that they used to have with farmers and rural Ontarians. I was wondering if you could speak to the importance of your goal of reestablishing that trust and that connection, and mm -hmm. um, how you plan to do so. In terms of reestablishing a connection, I think a lot of it is being personally present and mm -hmm. listening to groups. But I think in terms of a, a big overall idea, I mean, there are ideas like, oh, we should make sure that rural areas have access to uh, high-speed internet, you know, mm -hmm. and that's been worked on for many, many years now, and all levels of government are getting involved in that, and it's important. But I think in terms of a, of a big idea, I think the Liberal Party should be looking at valuing community and what communities provide uh, in the long term. So, and looking at policies through a long-term community lens. So for example, if you're gonna cut a transportation link because it's losing money, think about, okay, so what's, how's that gonna affect the community in 10 or 20 years, given the, how the community might change in 10 or 20 years because the importance of mining is gonna change or the importance of agriculture is gonna change. Uh, does it make sense potentially to pay more money up front, something that's losing money, and in exchange you get a stronger community in the future. Mm -hmm. um, and the same applies to uh, medical clinics, or investing in housing, or investing in anything else. So I think a big idea for that would be for the Ontario Liberal Party to commit to looking at its policies through a uh, long-term community lens. Just like uh, the federal government has said in the past, we'll look at every policy through a climate lens and we'll look at every policy through a gender lens. Mm -hmm. uh, 
will look at every policy through an indigenous lens. So I think uh, the Ontario Liberal Party could do the same thing for smaller and more remote communities by looking at policies through a long-term community lens and thinking about the value of social capital. And that could be, a, I think, a big idea to change our relationship with this party's policy relationship with, with rural and northern Ontario. Just pivoting a bit again, we're sort of going to hit all those yeah. hot-button issues that you mentioned right at the start uh, in a little more detail. Uh, I was wondering if you'd like to get, uh, get into your environmental policies that you propose since um, you're involved, you're passionate about the environment. Yeah. Um, Kingston has made some steps in the last few years, of course, but yeah. how do you plan on continuing green development in Ontario? Yeah. So, yeah, I'm very, uh, very, very interested in protecting the environment and taking action on climate change. Uh, I used to, actually, I, I was on the City of Kingston's committee, this Kingston Environmental Advisory Forum, and when I was on that committee, I did a greenhouse gas emissions inventory on my own for the city of Kingston, buying some data, doing some estimates. And it was tracking how Kingston's greenhouse gas emissions changed from the year 2000 to 2006. Uh, and then I also ran a sustainable energy association called SWITCH, uh, which still exists. And uh, in fact, they just had a meeting this morning <laughs> uh, about uh, lithium battery fires and how to deal with lithium battery fires because sometimes they can be very hard to, they can't be put out by conventional means because they're they don't need oxygen so I, I ran switch for a number of years before I got into uh, elected politics so I think from the provincial point of view there's there's a couple things one is to protect green spaces protect wetlands and just be much more careful about development uh, than we have in the past and it's, it's not just protecting agricultural land, it's protecting wetlands and, and other undeveloped lands. It's protecting old, old trees and things like that. Uh, but on climate change, I think the biggest thing the province should be doing is to make, is to make sure that its energy uh, systems are helping to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and ready for the transition from burning fossil fuels to electricity. So over the next few decades, we're, we're gonna be changing our home heating from burning natural gas or oil to uh, using heat pumps. Uh, not, you know, it's going to not happen overnight, but we're, we'll start with the southern places that are warmer and, and close to water where it's milder. Uh, but all of these things have to be done. So we have to electrify our economy, but we have to be able to produce electricity too. So <clears throat> it means a concerted effort starting with conservation, but generating more renewable energy uh, having more energy storage so that solar energy, which is changes from night to day, can be uh, used throughout, throughout the day. Um, changing our building practices so our buildings are more energy efficient and save money. Uh, making sure that our old buildings get, get renovated because a lot of the wastage of uh, the, the money that's just being thrown away is in older buildings. So. Figuring out how to finance that and how to make sure we have enough uh, skilled labor resources to do all of that work is, is important. We have a new building in downtown Kingston that uses geothermal energy. They drilled some holes down in downtown Kingston. Uh, and so it's got a completely different heating and cooling system uh, that's going to have a much greener footprint because it's... Uh, 
think it might have natural gas as a backup, but most of the time it's not going to use natural gas. We can try to uh, make what they call green gas. So I visited a farm recently. It's a, quite a large farm, but what they do is they take manure and other organic waste, municipal organic waste, and they ferment it or compost it. Uh, <clears throat> and they purify the gas and feed it into the system. And it feeds, it provides the gas for a nearby town of about a thousand people. And that gas, uh, it's all comes from organic materials. So it's, it's uh, not contributing to climate change using that gas. Uh, so there's, I mean, it's not the same as the amount of gas that we pump out of the ground, but it is something that is definitely worth doing uh, to minimize the amount of uh, fossil natural gas mm -hmm. that we're burning that does contribute to climate change. So there's a lot of things that need to be done uh, on the in the area, energy area. Definitely, and um, I guess a lot of these issues overlap. You were speaking earlier about even ways in which we could improve housing in Ontario that would relate to improving our environmental footprint. Um, I was wondering if you could get into some of those policies as well as uh, other ideas you have around housing. One of the important things of housing that affects people, that people think about every day, is how do we make it affordable? So we have to think about ways to have smaller housing. Uh, so people have to get used to the, and I think a lot of people are ready to give up lots of space in order to have a place that they can call their own. Uh, that is affordable, so smaller units. And uh, so there has to be a culture shift to accommodate that. Uh, I remember speaking to developers a few years ago saying like, why do you build like 10 big units? Why don't you build 15 small units? And in fact, landlords like smaller units because they get more rent per square foot that way. But the builders felt that they needed the larger units because there was a market for it. And, and maybe it was, it's a higher end market so their margins are bigger, I don't know. Uh, but we need to incentivize small units. You might, for example, change the way distribution char uh, development charges sorry, are calculated. Um, you could do development charges per square foot instead of per door. Because when it's per door, then you want to build, it's an incentive to build larger units. If it's per square foot, you want to build smaller units because smaller units means more units, which means more revenue per square foot. Um, so there's things like that, and, and maybe we need, even need to put in rules. We should, in buildings also, I think we should also be thinking about making sure that all new buildings are, have individual metering. Because with individual metering, it's been proven. Really, really easy way. You don't have to force anybody to do anything, but individual meters uh, for utilities cause people to use way less electricity and gas and water. Um, so all the older buildings don't have individual meters, metering. So you can imagine all the electricity and water that's not being used very efficiently. Um, we should also be thinking about ways to, so buildings, apartments get a lot cheaper if you don't have to put in so much parking, because parking takes space. So if you have buildings in places where some of the people don't need cars, and you could get away with fewer parking spaces, or maybe it's students, you have some students living there, or you have some elderly people living there, people 80 years and older who some of them have given up cars. There are different things that you can do to reduce the amount of parking needed and that reduces the cost of housing. We should also be thinking about uh, so other ways to get more density, so like higher buildings. Higher buildings cost less because you, there's a lot of stuff on the ground that you don't need to do over and over again. Now people need to get used to higher buildings. Some people don't like higher buildings. 
But if you believe we're in a housing crisis, then I think you have to accept that we need some higher buildings. Uh, and it doesn't have to be dramatically higher. Uh, even in Pro Toronto, people are saying, like, we don't need to build all those skyscrapers, but if we just have more six to ten story buildings instead of two story buildings, uh, we can. There's a lot of land in Toronto that could be used to have that density. In Kingston, maybe it's not six to ten, but it could be four. But, but there's also places where it is, we should have six to ten story or 15 story buildings because we're in a housing crisis. Mm -hmm. And we don't seem to be treating it like a housing crisis. So there are other things that are not related to building, like, uh, like co-ops and the other different ways of ownership. Co-ops can be very successful, they, but you have to figure out a way to have good long-term governance. So co-ops only work if you can uh, assure that the governance of the co-op is, is uh, can be kept up for a long, long time, like essentially forever. So, so governance is really important for co-ops. Um, I think that there should always be, you should, we should always be looking out for innovations in building materials. So what about passive house design? There's a company in Kingston, actually my predecessor, former MPP Ian Arthur, has a company that's 3D printing houses. Uh, there's a, they have a house in Kingston, I think another one on Wolf Island, and they're doing some in the GTA. So people should go look at that house in Kingston. It's, it's just a different way of building. And the cost of materials, the cost of labor, as well as the cost of land, all go into the cost of uh, housing and all three land is expensive, labor is expensive, and materials are expensive. All three are expensive. So we should be thinking about innovative materials, innovative techniques. There's probably things in our bureaucracy that make innovation hard <laughs> that we should be making some allowances for. Because again, if we're in a crisis, we should be trying things uh, and we should be making it easier to try different things. We should probably make some exceptions when it comes to uh, the bureaucracy that's involved in building houses. Mm -hmm. I think you gave a lot of reasons, but um, feel free to reiterate. I mean, as a fresh grad, I'm just happy to have a roof over my head. I'm not living with many people. I'm not accounting for many people. Um, but what would you say to folks who maybe are less keen on the idea of smaller units or who are concerned? I would say, uh, you know, in Canada, we have a lot of space per person. Mm -hmm. And do you want to have a society where people can't afford a place of their own. Whether it's, and some people want to be able to buy a place so that they can have protection against inflation, so that, so that they can put money into a place for the long term in terms of fixing it up the way they want and putting down some roots. And uh, people like, I think people care for housing better when they own it. In exchange for that, in exchange for have, being able to rent a place with the salary that you have working somewhere, uh, being able to rent a place that's close to where you live or is easy to get to. I think people should be ready to accept smaller units. Uh, and the rest of the world lives with less square feet per person. So why should we be so different than Canada? Once again, that was Kingston and the Islands MPP Ted Chu discussing his campaign to be leader of the Ontario Liberal Party. Not all of this interview was there this evening, and you can listen to the full interview on our podcast network at podcast.cfrc.ca under Kingston Currents, episode four.
There we get into why Ontario needs a fresh start, healthcare in Ontario, issues specific to Ontarians in rural areas, and MPP Shu's vision for advancing truth and reconciliation initiatives in Ontario. Shu also provided info on where you can learn more about his campaign. Before we wrap up, I was wondering if you wanted to sort of let folks know about any upcoming campaign events, where they can learn more. Well, uh, so my website, uh, www.tedhsu. www.tedshu.ca has uh, some pages about uh, what my campaign is doing in the next little while. We have events where I'm meeting people. I want to meet people all across Ontario. So if somebody's listening and wants to introduce me to a community somewhere in Ontario, I'd be happy to take that meeting and either travel there or maybe do it virtually. Uh, And if people want to help out with this, we're always looking for volunteers and donations. But you can look at my website and check me out first. There's a speech that I gave in my campaign launch, which kind of outlines what I'm all about when it comes to running for leader. And you should definitely check me out first uh, and make sure that uh, what I'm offering is something you, you believe in and would love to have support. That is all things current in Kingston for this week. Thank you for listening to CFRC's local news programming brought to you by the generous support of the Community Radio Fund of Canada under the Local Journalism Initiative. Be sure to stay tuned for more CFRC programming coming up next.